Hey, thanks again for listening to Trilove. Today's very special episode features the Trilons film programmer, John Moret, talking about the Trilons' 10th anniversary, how and where they get the movies they show, where their theater fits in the landscape of American repertory cinema, uh, and some great nitty-gritty nerdy questions we've always wanted to ask. Tickets to the Trilons' 10th anniversary celebration, which is going to feature five surprise films playing all day long on September 21st, are available now at Trilon.org. Thanks again to John for being on the show. Uh, if you're interested in hearing us talk about a specific movie or even in joining us for an episode, please let us know on Twitter at at TrilovePodcast or by email at TrilovePodcast at gmail.com. Here is the episode finally. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Try Love, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. I, as always, am one of your hosts, Jason Daphnis, and next to me are my co-hosts, Aaron Grossman. Hey, how's it going? Cody Narvison. Hey, how's it going? Harry Mackin. Hi. And today we have a very special guest, perhaps the most special guest we've ever had, not just fluffing, for real. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm John Moret. I am the film programmer at the Trilon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks John. for having me. We're looking forward to a really great conversation. We've had a lot of these questions actually burning for a long while now, good. but it's just it's straight cowardice that's led me to not reaching like out. Uh, but cowardice I'm glad somebody. Is appropriate. That's good. <laughs> that's... I'm, yeah, I'm terrifying. I'm just. I think I'm just trying I like to, survive to sit in the back of movie theaters and not talk yeah. or interact with anybody and just, and just passive aggressively talk about the people who are moving their seats too far back yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah in front of me that's uh, uh that's why we started a movie theater exactly. we don't want to talk to anybody that's right and why you expanded too <laughs> yes, it's like exactly. we can't limit this to 45 people it's no, gotta be my own heart yeah yeah uh so go ahead and just uh start by telling us how you feel currently about uh the sort of what go- what's going on at the trial sure um so right now let's see uh, how far back do you want me to go you want me to hey just talk about this year so far okay um, yeah, we've had a really solid, um, a solid year up till now as of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, summer went really well. We did this giant space program, which was incredibly overwhelming to program. And I felt like I kept thinking people were going to tire out of it and they'd be like, oh, so much space. I hate these movies. All those nerds though. But it kept growing and growing. And by the end it was super successful. So I was really happy with that. Great. Um, right now we have this Jules Dassan series going on that I'm super excited about. Um, especially Brute Force, which I think is two weeks away yet. And that movie is super great. Can't wait for that one. It's super, super good. Um, and then two weekends or the 21st will be our 10th anniversary celebration, um, which I've been planning for like a year and a half. So I'm really excited. We've got like some really rare prints and some stuff that I otherwise can't program for Mm -hmm. legal reasons and stuff like that. So I'm super excited that it's, um, it's kind of like my, wish list of movies that I would like put people in front of for a day. Sure. So I'm pretty excited. Awesome. So there were, you could program them for this one night only, but you wouldn't usually Right, so we do? can't afford... So because we only have 90 seats, certain people will be like, we will charge you $500 per show. 
Um, oh, and so wow. for something like this, like, well, we could do one show. But if we do that on a weekend, we would never make enough money back. Sure. But for the anniversary, Barry was sort of like, program what you want to do. And I'm like, I will waste all your money <laughs> on this movie. Yeah. I was going to ask about the anniversary because I know it's coming up. Yeah. It's something yeah, let's to, lead with to generally plug. But so it seemed, it's the 10th anniversary of the trial right, coming right. up in September. Yeah. So um, the trial kind of started as – I'll step back a little bit. I saw that there was a question here about the Oak Street and we can kind of start mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So Barry Krishka, R.E.D., uh, was an employee slash volunteer at the Oak Street. Um, as the Oak Street board brought on the International Film Festival, they sort of merged boards, um, thinking that, like, we both have value, we both have these audiences, and we should join. Well, it turned out that it was like a cocktail of hell, and they hated each other. Um, <laughs> and the film festival did not value repertory cinema, and the theater was like, we hate your film festival. That's a huge amount of work and loses a lot of money. Ouch. So there was like this... Thing And then it turned out that the people who left the board were Oak Street members. Mm. So the board became more and more film festival heavy. And then they're like, we're selling your building. So Barry was heartbroken. Uh, and him and a bunch of the other people who wanted to save the building but couldn't started kind of having this conversation about what do we do now? So in the making, there was like programming beside, like behind coffee shops and in alleyways and 16 millimeter on roofs and whatever they could do to make a little bit of money here and there. Um, and then they started programming at the Parkway um, back when you could – it was run by um, some really interesting people who were like, we don't care, whatever you want to do. <laughs> and so they're like, well, we'll trade you this equipment that we stole and we will give this to you and then uh, you will let us have like 10 screenings here. So that's what they did and they made it some money and they kept it on. And then they started the Hitchcock Festival at the Riverview, which yeah. just made a lot of money. It sure. still happens every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We we went still, we're still doing. Yeah, I yeah. think that we're at – about 10 years on that now, too. Yeah. Maybe 11 now. Um, so Barry sort of scratched and saved for a while um, and built that first small space in his warehouse, basically, like behind his office. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no hallway to get to it. You used to have to go through his office. Like, I remember the first <laughs> screening, like, showing up and being like, this isn't a movie theater. And then walking in and there was, like you know, seats that were just kind of like randomly put somewhere and just, lawn just like chairs pulled and up stuff. a lawn chair and like 35 projected up behind you, but there was no wall between you and the projection booth. And it was just so lovely. It was just like, this place is the <laughs> That best. sounds cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. like, this great. is the best. Um, and so then it sort of started to evolve and, and became what it is. Nice. Um, and yeah, you, so now we're at 10 years. You were just an early attendee of those yeah. screenings before yeah, so it was the trial? Yeah, so I was, um, I want to say I was... 19 when I started going to the Oak Street and then when they closed um, and started doing other stuff I was actually working for Landmark I was sure. uh, the manager at the Uptown and the Lagoon at the time <laughs> oh, cool. and I was like what are these people doing like <laughs> we're dying inside but these people what are they they're living yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um, so so that's when I started going and then um, I've been the programmer now for there for six years excellent uh, so what is your history then your background in film uh, did you just really were interested and ended up managing a theater? Yeah. So when I was in junior high, my parents moved me to a small town called Owatonna. It's like an hour south of here. And um, I was like, I don't want new friends. So I don't, I'm not going to do that. So I walked to the video store, Video Max, and Cashwise Video like every day. And I would just talk to the video store clerks and like rent. I'd rent five movies a day every day and I'd watch all five and then I'd bring them back Jesus, like all summer long when I moved there and then once we started school I had to like do homework and stuff but um, 
So I kind of got enamored with movies then as sort of like a, I don't need friends, I have movies. Anti-social teen rebellion. Yes, exactly. Thing. Again, completely after my own yeah. part. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So, um, so I watched, you know, between my seventh grade year and my senior year in high school, I watched, you know, 700 films or something. Um, and then getting into college, uh, I wanted to teach history. And so I was in this program to teach history. And I met this professor named Larry May. And he is uh, used to be the American Studies like guy there who sort of started the program and was, a, and he was like, "I'm reading this this paper of yours about Rambo, and you shouldn't be teaching high school. You should just study, like go study film." And I was like, mm, "I don't know. We'll see." But so, um, so I so I actually went and stayed with him in L.A. and went to the MPAA and studied. Um, I was working on my paper, which was about Reagan and the '80s and like sort of conservative like right-wing backlash films of the 80s mm-hmm. and how they tied into Reagan and at that time George W. Bush sort of kind of like making the connection and while I was doing that I was also studying Chaplin for him and doing all the research for his book so it was like this crazy like wow 1920s 1980s mm-hmm. it was sort of made all this stuff work in my head so I got out of college and um, I did I didn't want to do anything right away so I was like well it'd be fun to work at a movie theater so I became the box office person at the Uptown mm-hmm. and did that for a few years and then became the manager and ran it and all that stuff. Um, and then I started volunteering at the Trilon a few years later after that, mm-hmm. um, just because I wanted to be there. Uh, you said you were, that you – or it sounds like you were hesitant uh, between high school and college trying to decide whether or not you yeah. actually wanted to study. Yeah, I didn't film. want to be an academic. Like I sort yeah. of I, – I find it tedious. You know, I think that there's um, – I don't mind film theory, but I think it sort of gets in the way of liking films. Yeah. You know, it becomes like a – A I job? Need, yeah. Well, it, it becomes a, an argument, right? Like it, I need these films to fit within my paradigm of what I see for my paper to work. And that's the only reason I watch these movies. <laughs> um, rather than like trying to suck out all you can from them. You yeah. know, like uh, – um, so I, I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. I was mm-hmm. still interested. I mean, I'm still interested. I still write some, but I don't. Right. Um, I think I think of movies in an academic way when I'm programming, but I think that I don't let that get in the way of like, but this movie's really fun. Right. That's a great point. How does that sort of perspective influence your job now? I think I think drastically. I think being a history major, you know, um, a film like Medium Cool might not mean anything to anybody unless you studied the 1968 convention and you have like a feeling of like, this is what was happening. Hmm. Um, like I showed it to an audience a few years back um, when we did this big Haskell Wexler series. And I remember these young people coming out and being like, that movie was, what was going on? Like, what was that all about? And I was just stunned. I was like, what, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, was that a you, few years ago already? That series was, I think it was three, oh, maybe four. God. You're getting old, Harry. I guess. Uh, I but that I was know. that was your lens was having like studied exactly, and researched exactly. That. So then yeah. I so it was like this eye opening, like putting things into perspective for people isn't just about making connections for them mm-hmm. on like why a film works with another film. It's also about providing a lens for which they can ask more questions. Yeah, so, and not providing answers. Like I feel like the trial line is really good at like here's a whole bunch of questions for you. Exactly. Go figure that out. <laughs> like we don't want to solve that for you. Like yeah, it's not. This isn't a class. You know, it's not like you're going to read some essays afterward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know. but by but creating the themes that you have. I mean, right. when you were talking about uh, Reagan in the yeah. '80s, I thought about the Reagan dystopia that yeah. you did right. earlier this year. Uh, yeah. Right. Right. You sort of 
create the uh, stepping off point for people who right. want to explore those ideas more. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I'm always trying to kind of hint at, like, here's a way to think about these whenever I program things. Like, um, here's a way to think about how all these films might work or what was happening in the 80s that, like, you know you're Top Gun and you're Back to the Future, and you're, but you might not know about, you know, Running Man or, you know, like there was stuff going on underneath that was political satire that wasn't treated as A films, like they're B films, but they're super intelligent, you know? Yeah. That's um, interesting. You brought up the, the, it was a Reagan land, yeah. 1980s dystopia. Yeah. That was yeah. the, that was the series that ran earlier this year. I'm pretty April. sure. April. Yep. April. Yeah. Um, so just, I kind of connect to that, to the general, uh, you know, your process of, of developing a program. Mm -hmm. um, is there, do you kind of have a pretty rigid process for what that looks like or how do you kind of no, think about approaching all. that? No, it's, um, it's very much like I'll fall in love with one film and I'll really want to find a way to get to that. So like I almost always am like I found this movie and I need to find a way to get to it and how do I build things around it? And it's almost always like the movie I'm in love with won't make any money. So I have to, <laughs> so I have to surround it with things that people want to see. That was a question we were going to ask. Yeah. That's funny. So like um, for instance, I'm working on this movie now. It's called All the Marbles. Um, and it's a uh, Peter Falk and it's – um. 1981, but it's made in 79. So it feels very much like a 70s American film. And it's Peter Falk is the manager of a women's tag team wrestling duo. Hmm. And as they travel the country and like, and it's astonishingly great and sort of unseen and unknown. And um, so I was building a Peter Falk series around it and I was trying that or I was trying like wrestling or how do I get to this movie? Like this is the movie that's the find in whatever series it comes about. Um, so like that's one that I'm working on now. And I actually have a 16 millimeter print of it. That's like in perfect condition and there's no archives that have it. And there's Warner brothers doesn't have a print. And so I don't, we don't show 16 <laughs> yet. So I'm sort of like, how do I get 16 into the trial? And so yeah, you show this yet. movie. Are you, yeah. Are you I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So I'm looking for, now we're gonna start looking for grants for how we show 16. Uh, um, if this isn't too specific, yeah, tell us about that, about the general like procurement model for films and oh, sure. for how you yeah, actually like raise the funds to do that. Yeah. So, um, let's take, um, well, let's take that Reaganland series, for instance. So when I'm looking at Reaganland, the film I was really trying to get to was Brother from Another Planet. Like I was like, Brother <laughs> from Another Planet needs to get seen. And it's sort of this perfect distillation of what I want to do. And so I started kind of building the rest of it around it. Um, and also like on the success of, we did a seventies dystopia series, like four years ago now, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, well, that was super successful and really had like a, a nice coalescing idea about it. So I sort of kind of built it that way. Um, I wanted to do Blade Runner as I wanted to book the final cut on DCP as like a digital new restoration. And then I wanted to book a collector's print of the original theatrical version where Harrison Ford is narrating yeah, it. <laughs> and I kind of wanted to do like a seven o'clock of the final cut and like a nine a 30. Of That's interesting. That would have been fascinating. Yeah. So um, when I'm doing something like that, like I'm looking for, I look through the collectors that I know and I contact them and see what they have. And, um, or else I start looking at archives um, you know, we work with UCLA or Library of Congress or Academy Film Archive or, you know, there's like there's a bunch of places that I can go to find that. So I found a print of it. I went to Warner Brothers. I'm like, here's what I want to do. Here's my pitch. And they're like, Ridley Scott will not allow the original version to be shown in any format of any kind. And I was like, OK, fair enough. Uh, 
what what, and I was like, what about the final cut on 35? And they're like, no, it can only be digital. Really? And I'm like, I showed that what? on 35 at the Uptown at the re-release. I know there's yeah. prints. Like, she's like, no, he won't allow any film projection of any of his films ever. Wow. That's heartbreaking. I need, yeah. yeah. Oh. So, um, write an angry so when you get to that point, there becomes a question of like, do I tell them I'm booking the 35? I mean, the, the DCP and then go get a collector's print and not tell them. Or do I just roll with it? And do anybody actually want to see the theatrical version? Or am I just burning money by going to pay for the print rental and the shipping? So I ended up not doing that. Yeah. But um, but I did find a print, so I could do it someday. Um, but So I think that that's part of what you're doing is you're, you first – it's always first I start with the studio. It's like find the studio who released it or who has obtained theatrical rights. Or that process can be either a 10-minute phone call or it can be – six months of like email to email, <laughs> phone call to phone call. You know, like it can be a bit. Sure. And then after that, if they don't have materials, which some of these studios now are like putting all their prints into these archives and then kind of giving you what they have or being like, we don't have anything. Good luck. Yeah. Um, you know, so, um, so it's, it's a real mix of each film is its own thing. Um, in this circumstance, because I really wanted to do brother from another planet, that took some digging. Um, IFC was like, you can't have our print. I'm like, well, how, what conditions are it? It's in great condition. I'm like, well, give it to me. <laughs> um, so I had to go find another print. And, you know, so it's, um, it can be, it can be a long process or it can be a su- super short, depending on each film. Yeah. You know? Does it ever surprise you which one's hard and which one's easy? Oh yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, um, have you seen this? Um, there's this John Houston film, uh, night of the iguana. Yeah. It's got Ava Gardner. It's a, beautiful film it's just like absolutely astonishingly great and warner brothers did not have a print of it and i'm like it's john houston like what's wrong with you like how do you not have a print i'm like well okay well we'll go digital and they're like we don't that we don't have that either and you're like what like how do you not have that john houston film with ava gardner in it yeah like that doesn't make any sense nonsense but so um so that one i was like really i just kind of planned on that being in the series not worrying about it um but then there's other ones where you're like amazed to see like rollerball has a brand new film print you know like that's amazing that's one of the first films i ever saw the trial oh that's an excellent one it's so good oh and they go out and they're shooting those trees (laughs) that's that's the best scene oh my god it's (laughs) astonishing that's one of those moments where just i love watching this movie i don't need to dissect this specific scene i can just love what i'm seeing great that was back at the 50 seater when you had to walk down the the long corridor to get down there yes man what a great Time. Oh, yeah. That I remember I sat through three of those. I just kept going back to watch that one. I was like, this is so great. The print was gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, so you said, I find it really interesting that you uh, sort of focus on one movie, one movie that you're really interested in showing yeah. because you've seen it. Yeah. How do you pick what to, to, what to watch personally then? Like any given movie, any given day is just a complete random pick or do you go off of recommendations or? Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting process. You know, I used to be like, I'm going to watch two movies a day. And I'll just make a list of the stuff I'm supposed to watch mm-hmm. and then the things I want to watch. And there'll be like two different lists and I'll kind of like go back and forth. But um, my kids now who are five make my life incredibly difficult. <laughs> and um, so so it'll be like – You mean they didn't like watching Cure? They, they, weren't, into, they weren't into it. Uh, I mean you, you won't be surprised here that they hate movies because right? I was like – my first thing I was, I was like, we're going to watch Seventh Voyage of Sinbad on yeah. 16 in the basement. Here we go. And they're like, whatever, ah! dad. Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> so um, – but so you know, now it's very much a matter of like – I look at um, kind of the context of what I see for 
the series that I think is the important series to put in the next calendar, right? So um, right now I'm working on the winter. And the big series I wanted to do was um, John Woo. I was like, I'd like to do a John Woo series. Oh my God. So, so, um, so I would start watching the John Woo stuff I haven't seen, right? I'd be, I kind of pick with like, I'm going to show the killer and I'm going to show hard boiled, but where else do I go? Right. Um, so it's a matter of like watching of his like 22 films, like which 12 do I have time to watch? Mm -hmm. And it would probably be like whatever's rated best or whatever. Um, and so I'll, I'll weigh that against like, I'm also doing a Lubitsch series. So how do I like spend my time watching one and then the other? And, um, so it can really be a matter of, I'm probably not watching a lot of stuff for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, except sometimes if we're done early enough, I'll be like, what's playing? I'll go see whatever is new that's exploding and three hours long. You know? uh, Fast and the Furious. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> I just saw my that first one. So that was the most tedious. recent one. That was a mess. It's a oh, mess. it's so tedious. Good. This is the biggest fan of Fast and Furious. I mean, I've some ever of them are great. Five I, is amazing. Yeah, that. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I mean, okay. I, I think I think some of them are super entertaining. I would say that it's the opposite of the Star Trek, right? Where it's like one, three, and five wow, are good. Yeah. Where <laughs> in Star Trek it's yeah. two, four, and six. Yep. Yeah. Um. But that's, that's a good take. I didn't know we'd be talking about Fast and Furious <laughs> well, today. I would have I, I would have prepared a little more. Project. Yeah. <laughs> but so anyway, like um so yeah, I make time for those occasionally. Mm -hmm. Um but normally what I'm doing if I have time to watch something of my own is something that I've like is sort of a curious like that could be good or it might be a disaster and mm -hmm. I just want to see it. Uh where do films like Mabarossi is one of the first like mm. really blind pulls for me yeah. that was played at the Trilon yeah. and it, I don't think it was lumped in with any other there was, was one other series. Cora Ada movie I did two Cora Ada films okay. together uh, two of my ones... favorite movies of all time that I got awesome. to see at the Trilon awesome. for the I first love... time yeah. I mean that's one I've been wanting to do forever I love those movies and uh, one's like Cure. I don't think Cure was part of a series that was, no, was it part of the volunteers thing now so we okay. got a grant um, for our 10th anniversary to let volunteers choose uh, films that they've wanted to show for forever that we haven't shown um and so we went by seniority so whoever's been our volunteers the longest get to choose first and we'll kind of go down the line and do 25 of them or something oh. um so they're a real mixed bag like there's some stuff that you're like xanadu and cure <laughs> like it's like a it's not going to have a lot of like momentum building to it but there's going to be a lot of fun stuff that otherwise we would never have shown i was really amazed and impressed by like i think all four of the ones that are currently scheduled yeah. all four of those people have been volunteering at the trial for like since 10 years beginning. right yeah, since, since the beginning. beginning yeah yeah um kathy and mark have been projecting every other saturday for 10 years wow. and they miss like two or three a year That's you know, like, like where i'll just step in and work on a saturday but it's like um they're astonishingly devoted and i think they just really enjoy it mm -hmm. you know it's not a huge time commitment if you're willing to give up five hours on a saturday you know but um yeah it's amazing um yeah, most of them really. I mean, we haven't really lost that many people over the years. I was going to ask, how does how does that happen? How does somebody be become a volunteer? At the you just applied and then talk to Nikki and wait until there's room. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a wait list now. Yeah, oh, really? I, I think that we had. Um, I think the last person was on a wait list for two years because people just don't really leave right. you know, unless they have a job yeah. or something. They have to leave town. Um, but yeah, so we. I mean, it's incredibly consistent, which is really nice. It's nice that that's not a huge amount of work. Uh, just because I'm not completely aware of the hierarchy, there's um, Ticket Productions is is that the sort of holding ownership yeah, so company? Yeah, so I think I think Ticket Productions was the thing that Barry started to be like we're going to do Take Up Productions around town. Mm -hmm. So like the stuff at the Riverview or the Parkway or the Heights was going to be Take Up, and then um, the building itself was that was our home was the Trilon, um, and 
I think as that kind of went on, that was confusing to people. So now we do like Troilon Roadshow yep. at the Heights in the Riverview. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Take Up, I think, is still the nonprofit was in that name. Okay. So I think that that's still technically like our parent mm-hmm. nonprofit or whatever. Um, yeah. And Trilon came about because Barry grew up in Queens and the um, World's Fair in Queens had built the giant Trilon, which was a giant um, like pyramid <laughs> and the Perisphere. That's kind of yeah. like the thing that was the Trilon. So, um, so the Trilon Theater was his neighborhood theater that he could walk to. <laughs> and when they closed, he was like, well, I'm naming my theater the Trilon for sure. So kind of spiritual yeah. successor. Yeah, yeah to totally. The yeah. Uh, can I ask? Uh, so, uh, just you know, you talked about a few of the other theaters in the the city as well. I yeah. guess, how do you envision where the Trilon fits in there? And I guess any other kind of larger thoughts about the general uh, yeah, theater like how, community in the area? Um, you know, I think I think for a long time, the Oak Street was sort of like the mainstay of repertory cinema in Minneapolis. And I think when that dissolved, um, there was a lot of room for other people to kind of pop up. So I think Tom's sort of doing his stuff at the Heights. Um, the Riverview, I think, is kind of a long-standing tradition of occasionally showing older movies. Yeah, but um, didn't really start doing it later until Hitchcock, and I think the Parkway, you know, recently like has started kind of doing their own thing. Ever uh, since new management, right? Somebody yeah, yeah. It. Like uh, so, Dan <laughs> um, moved here from Pittsburgh and started right. the Psychotronic stuff there, and then he ended up moving to Japan, and they kind of like took off from there and just kept running it. <laughs> um, so I feel like the Triline is sort of this – we're the only one that's like full-time, right? Like we're always running repertory cinema. Um, in I think in the tradition of like New York City repertory that was sort of committed to like we are not running one kind of thing. We're not going to have one kind of audience, right? Like The Heights is very much like an older right. audience yeah. that has some money that um, is committed to classic cinema. And The Riverview is more like fan favorites – you can go there and always have a good time. Like mm. the review is always fun. Um, and I think the trial on is much more like we are committed to showing repertory cinema in all of its forms, right? Like I, I, I'm always attempting to have every calendar be a mix of like newish films, science fiction films, action films, classic films, foreign films. Like I'm always trying to get as big of a mix in there as I can get. Um, Cause I'm always thinking about, expanding the idea of what cinema is like it's yeah. not a type of thing it's not like you like movies like movies that's a big thing <laughs> like you either like one kind of movies or you like just cinema in general as an idea um so i think we're we're pro that do you find that hard every once in a while i mean it, it sounds like you can't narrow down too specifically you know mm-hmm. maybe demographically or the kind of movies mm-hmm. that you're showing is that ever something that makes it hard for you to do your job or do you just view that oh, in yeah. a positive manner? Oh, I think it's super hard. I mean, I think, you know, like um, we were doing a lot of classic film those first few years when Barry was kind of programming more um, and they and they had an audience and they had built up that audience a little bit and I think when I started kind of mixing it up, some of the audience for the classic films has migrated towards the heights. Mm-hmm. So like when we do Lubitsch, it will definitely be a challenge for us. You know, <laughs> like if we're showing 30s um, Greta Garbo films, we're going to have a hard time drawing people. But it's also worth having. You know, I, I think um, the nice thing about being a nonprofit is not everything has to make money. It's yeah, sort of I was like going to ask trade-off. about that. It seems like, uh, and this is um, speculation on my part, but it, it seems like based on what you choose, it, it's more, you have more of a an eye toward 
uh, education or, like you said, a broad representation, right. even then profitability necessarily. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a huge difference between you and another a lot right. of other places. Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the difference between like, you know, the Parkway or Draft House or whatever is their bottom line is always what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're always going to go for they're going to cherry pick like money makers, Right. They're going to look at what makes money. And that's what they're going to show. We're in a good spot where I can be like, we'll make money on Blade Runner. And I can spend all that money on a brother from another planet. You know, like it's kind of like a – I use it as a trade-off. Mm-hmm. And I always think about like what's – what can I use to make money to pay for this? Like that's always my thought process. Yeah, we it's were like how can I burn that, that money? Like how do I get people in the seats <laughs> and then burn that money as fast as possible? Great. Does does one movie ever – that you think is going to be one ever become the other? Like, uh, Oh, yeah. I think two years ago, maybe three years ago, Stalker sold out yeah. like every night I think. Yeah. And yeah. I was shocked by that. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah, Stalker, I did not expect that. <laughs> right. You know, I was I was thinking, like, the three-hour Russian movie that is, like, as slow as death yeah. uh, that I adore. I was, right, yeah. I couldn't get in. Like, I showed up and I was like, really? This is great. Um, so that was a huge surprise. I mean, yeah. this summer we did this film, um, Ikari XB1, which I really expected to just buy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's okay because... You know, we're showing Alien in two weeks, and that will make a whole bunch of money, so mm-hmm. it's fine. But Ikari did really great, and I was really surprised, and I was really happy with it. So just good because that movie rules. Yeah, it's a great movie, <laughs> and I didn't expect, um, you know, I didn't expect anybody to be there. So, yeah, that was a big surprise. What do you think that those surprises say about the Trilon's audience? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see what that. Um, I think the, the Trilon's audience is young, and the Trilon's audience is looking for either challenging films or like films that are hard to see otherwise Mm -hmm. or hard to watch at home, right? Like Stalker is a movie that I think I came to the conclusion of like, you don't want to watch that on your TV. You want to see Can you show that again? It'll come around. It'll come around. It'll come around. Um, You know, so I think that that's, the audience can be there for that. Mm -hmm. I I get the audience, the sense that the audience at the Trilon, um, is skewing more in their 30s and 40s, where I think repertory cinema around the country is more 60s and 70s. Mm. Um, I think that we're capturing some of that younger audience. Um, you know, there's not really another place like the Trilon oh, sure. outside of New York and L.A. Like if you look in between the coasts, um, full-time repertory cinema is really rare. So it's hard to look around and make comparisons. Um, I've gone to the Art House Convergence a few years, which is like this big art house um, meetup between all these movie theaters who are running their theaters. And this last time I just got fed up with all of it as everyone was like, hmm, how do you contact A24 to get the new one? I'm like, I don't want to talk about any of this stuff. Like, this is so boring. But it really is what all of – that's what these these theaters are doing is like – sprinkling in an older films on a Thursday or something. Right, right. Which is great, and it keeps it alive, and it needs to happen, and it's super great that it's happening. But I think it makes what we're doing far more interesting for me because I get to show stuff like Uptight. Mm-hmm. Again, Uptight is um, this film that's otherwise never going to show anywhere. You know, it's And it allows us to do that because people know when you go to the trial and you're going to see a certain kind of film. Why do you think that works in Minneapolis specifically? Why is this the bastion between the coasts? I think that Barry was super smart about his money and how he started. You know, like if you start on lawn chairs in a tiny warehouse space, you don't need much, right? Like, and you, and you don't need to, you don't need to sell out every show because you're already paying the rent. Right. You know, you don't need to 
pay for your staff because they're all volunteer. You don't need like it's just started as really really slow, and I think um, as it started to grow, he's been super super conservative about how we do things, right? Like like and we're not and we're pretty committed to doing things the way they used to be done. You know, like everyone always asks why we don't have a bar, and I'm always like, you never used to be able to drink beer in a movie theater, and if we're going to show old movies, that feels appropriate, like. You know, in a porn theater, you could get beer, but you couldn't at a movie theater. And that seems like, you know, I think as people continue to wear jeans to weddings and like athleisure <laughs> as pants, like I think that movie theaters are going the same way, right? It's, and it's, so it's yeah. becoming this thing where I'm like, it's fun to have a place that doesn't feel like that. Not that that's bad, but that it's nice to have something different. Mm -hmm. You know, something that feels like you're not going to get a giant chair and have food brought to you on a thing and a, it's, you, can, it's, you can just say Alamo it's not just Alamo it's the, right, it's the Mall right. of America it's like it's everywhere you know it's everywhere now it's like these huge seats that don't recline and I, I like that it's it feels like it's from another time mm -hmm. you know and I think the more we can try to keep it that way um, the better off it'll be uh, it brings my mind to I don't know if this is going to be an easy question to answer but what do you think that the trilon lost any of that when it expanded to more seats I think it lost some of it. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think I think the difference is that we changed from like a speakeasy kind of <laughs> into more of like a movie theater. Mm -hmm. Like I think our audience now it's much easier to get an older audience feeling comfortable in that space. Mm -hmm. You know, I think people used to feel like, whoa, am I do I belong here? Like is this too cool for me? Is this what There's is literally this? less walking. You don't have to yes. walk down that corridor. <laughs> exactly. <anymore. laughs> exactly. And and I think it is um you know, we we didn't build the trilon super small because we wanted it super small. Right. We built it that way because that's what we needed to do to survive. Well, you had, yeah. Right. You know, so um, so I think maybe it's less so, but I I I gotta say I don't miss that middle row where people used to bang their seat against your knees. <laughs> you know, I don't. Um, I like the size of the screen a lot more because it's native to flat, which is the one eight five larger image mm -hmm. so when we show older films or flat films are much larger they used to feel pretty small because um, the other one was native scope because cool. that's the size of room that we had to make it work um, so there's and, and I think there's other things where we're just it's all far more sustainable now like if we do an evening like the horrorthon we can make five grand um, where in the past it would have been two grand and not really worth it um, so um so it feels like we can do a little more daring programming here and there mm -hmm. and kind of with the extra seats, it puts us in a good place. Ooh, yeah. That's great to hear. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. You know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't miss the old place in some ways. Sure, I sure. miss some of the experiences that like, <laughs> you know, it, but, um, it feels like we use the space better now mm -hmm. in some ways. So it's tough to reconcile even just as a as a fan uh i i definitely can relate to that because like i remember having a lot of really good experiences with the old trinon where i would like i think i re i went to uh clio day five or seven yeah. uh at like i think it was like the sunday at like three mm -hmm. and I, I was like one of the only people in there because it was the last day yeah and i i hadn't planned on doing it i just went in there and i was like the only person in there and i was like what a great experience yeah. that was <laughs> yeah. but at the same time like this is now, this is a better experience for more people now. Right. And like, I can't fault that. I mean, right. that's great. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's the type of thing where I don't think, you know, if we had the opportunity to grow now, I don't know that we would. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think that it would be a conversation of like, do we, do we then ruin everything mm -hmm. about it? Um, 
Or, you know, maybe it's a chance to buy an old movie theater that makes us move someday or something. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping we don't move ever. Right. Yeah. After that summer, I well, don't ever want to do Aaron that. and I just roomed pretty close to I was telling about so. this on the ride. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please don't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, have a, we have about a 15-minute walk. So awesome. It's, yeah, it's Excellent. pretty nice. When I, and I never want to – I mean, that summer, when it's, my kids were two, and I had twin boys who were two and weren't sleeping – and at like Sophie would get my wife would get home from work and I'd go and work with Barry until we couldn't work anymore and then I'd go home and then do the next day and then the, and I it was a lovely experience looking back on it but at the time I hated yeah. it. Yeah. That's a lot of experiences. That's a lot of experiences. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of experiences. Um, so can I? Were you gonna? No, please go okay. ahead. Uh, so can I ask? Just other than you know, like expanding into a larger space or what have you, I guess. Do you think about the trial on in like five years, ten years? Do you think about? other future plans uh whether that's programming or yeah i'm always else. i'm always um my friend andy always makes fun of me because i've always like got five-year plans i'm like i'm gonna yeah. do this series in this many years so i can't show any of those movies between now and then so they're super special um but that's getting more and more ruined as more and more theaters are doing stuff around me so yeah um but yeah i'm always i mean i'm always thinking about like right now um i'm saying i'm planning uh uh pacific war series for next summer because it'll be the Mm -hmm. 75th anniversary of Hiroshima. So I'm already thinking about that and kind of like pushing back on like, well, I don't want to show that film because I'm thinking about it. And um, I was like, the one that's going to really solidify that series will be the Thin Red Line. So I went to Fox and they're like, we don't have a print. So I bought a print. And so we watched it this morning. That's just what I was doing to make sure that it looked okay and it would work. And Mm -hmm. um, so Sometimes what we're doing is thinking that far ahead to find the thing that's going to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like big plans for the Trilon, I mean, I have a few. I really want to do the the digital projector in the back of the auditorium. We've been raising money and thinking about how we enclose that back into the booth itself again. When we put in the giant beam through the ceiling, it blocked about three feet on the top. Hmm. So we had to bring the digital projector down, which then would have hit against the 35 projectors. Mm-hmm. So it moved outside of the booth. So there's like a small hum in the back of the room that just drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> I think I've seen this mentioned in fundraising. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So our next our next move is to like break open that wall and enclose it so that it's part of the booth, like extended a little bit mm-hmm. out onto it so that that sound doesn't get to the audience. Um, so that's on my radar. The other thing is... Um, when I was in Portland, I went through the Hollywood Theater with my friend Dan, who's the programmer there, and they had a 16-millimeter um, projector that actually thread the opposite way so it can fit inside a booth, like, pushed up against the 35 projector. Mm-hmm. So, like, usually you thread to your left, and this one you were threading on your right, and I was like, what is this machine? <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like, staring at it, and he's like, what? I'm like, what is this machine here? So that would mean, like, creating a larger porthole and putting the projector in with our other projectors. Um, which would give us access to all kinds of stuff, especially weird archival stuff. Like there's all kinds of weird stuff that I want to do on 16 that um, I don't know there's any audience for, but it's all super fun. Here is the audience. Yeah. Yeah, You know, there's all kinds of stuff that like um, um, there's not only like experimental stuff that's only on 16, but there's um, like, for instance, this film, all the marbles that I want to show that um, the 16 is all that's left. Or there's stuff like um, when we brought K.J. Relth out from UCLA, she was telling me that they have a huge amount of um, gay pride stuff 
that was being shot at the time that they have housed on 16, but that's the only way it's available. And it's just like on the ground, like people filming stuff. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know if there's an audience for that, but that sounds really wild. And I'd like to see it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. You know, I, that also, it sounds like there's like a, there's like a moral and historical right. imperative to preserve absolutely. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to all this stuff, right? Like it's always about, Barry's thing is Barry always pushes back on 35 because um, he's like it's way more expensive and it's mm-hmm. whatever and he's, he's it like it sounds like the role of the guy who yeah rolls exactly the, <laughs> the, role of the, the role of the guy who's executive director is to save the organization yeah. and my role is always to try to ruin it by doing the best program <laughs> um, but so I'm always pushing for like my argument here is more access you know mm-hmm. and he, he always goes with that he's like the more we can show the better off we can be and it's always about showing the best possible way to see that film so like sometimes a beat up old 35 millimeter print is the way to see the warriors, right? Like that's a film that doesn't do any harm by having scratches and oh, hell yeah. beat up. It, that it movie really kind yeah. of improves the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that doesn't harm it at all. Whereas if, um, if you're going to show like, you know, something like Blade Runner, it's kind of cool to have the new DCP that's going to look and sound the best it can yeah. look. Like I thought Alien, I was amazed at how great that DCP looked. looked. Great. Yeah, I noticed uh, you showed the um, the original cut of that, whereas right. the Parkway showed the uh, director's cut, right? Which was right. interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. And and I didn't think their print looked great. Like like I had access to that print and I looked at it and I was like, no. It's the original cut's also better. Yeah, I agree. I agree so. with you. And I, but I think you know I think when I look at that stuff, I'm often thinking like print that's rated two out of five or dcp that's brand new like it's yeah. i am very inclined to always show 35 so i have to kind of pull myself back on it but um when i see the stuff on dcp that's been restored i'm often like oh that's that's and really like that's not a distracting experience it's fascinating that you said it depends on the the type of movie it is too because right. oh, i always absolutely. suspected that oh like, yeah we saw uh 36 chamber of shaolin oh, yeah. and that's a pretty beat up print oh, but yeah. it looks amazing totally print. And, and it's the only print like in the world you know so you can't not show that yeah like and that's my friend dan who's the programmer at the hollywood that's his print so um whenever he has something that he's like this is the last one i'm like well i gotta show that thing because yeah. in the two years who knows it might be gone, and then there's no way you get to show it. Is that uh, is that sort of common um, in the film restoration sort of community that there's that there's sort of a um, an exchange of ideas and in prints, in uh, friendships within that community, or is that some? Yeah, yeah, some. I mean, I think it's really about it's about making a relationship with people that value the same things you value, right? So, kung fu isn't something that has really been shown through the years, except as like a joke. Right. It's always like we want to see the dubbed thing where we can laugh at the movie. Mm. And I think that's really changing in a way that um, that's really changing as far as like there's a few of us that are like, wow, this stuff is really cool in its own way. Let's show it how it was originally shown. Mm-hmm. And the thing I loved about um, um, I'm trying to think of which print it was. It might have been a diagram pole fighter that had the two sets of subtitles on it. Hmm. And it was really cool because it was like, this is how it was shown to the Chinese audiences in British Columbia where that print was originally sent. Mm. And it's like, you know, like it was, it was like meant to be like, yeah, it's dubbed in English and it's got these two sets of subtitles Mm -hmm. so that the two audiences can both. And I, and I, I think stuff like that is, you don't get that on a digital restoration. You don't get the, the history that that film print itself has had, you know, like there's a sense of you get to experience the last 40 years that that thing has been around, you know? Um, and I find that that sometimes that storyline is as interesting to me as the film itself. 
I was going to say the one that always comes to mind for me, and I think it was like the first <clears throat> time that I ever thought about how films are procured at the mm. trial line was, I think it was Wild at Heart when mm. you played um, Wild at Heart and Raising Arizona, I yeah. think right next back to each to other. Back, yeah. yeah. And there was something, can Great you show that story story. again? Because there was something with the print yeah, of Wild so, at Heart. So, so I, I booked Wild at Heart and Raising Arizona, and I'm always booking stuff like six months out. So I booked it in maybe like August or something. Mm-hmm. It was meant to play in February or whatever. And um, January, he comes back to me and he's like, well, so the R-rated print, which you booked, uh, has been damaged and it's gone. And our last print is this X-rated print. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine with the X-rated print. He's like, it's kind of beat up, but it's our last print. Mm-hmm. So I started asking around and being like, well, maybe I can find another one. And everyone came back with like, oh, no, that was the only print. Like all these collectors, like that was the only one. Wow. We'd all been showing this thing for years and it's gone. So um, – so I immediately was like, okay, we want to show this thing. Um, and that was, I think that was very near to our booking. So it was a matter of like, well, we can either go digital or find a way to show this thing. Um, and it was the only available print. And from what I understand, um, there's some talk of them creating a new print, but that's the only one that's circuiting now. So, um, you know, eventually it'll be gone. Because somebody will damage that one, right. or yeah. lose it, or you know something. Do you feel like you're racing against time in many respects? Oh yeah, a lot yeah. Of those yeah. I mean, it's, if if you love film, now is the time to enjoy it. Because by the time my kids are my age, it'll be really hard to watch it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be mostly gone. Um, so, you know, so part of what my fascination is with it is also just showing this stuff while I can. You know, it's and well, in, in showing it in in some part has to be helping with preservation. I think because so. As you raise yeah. interest. Hopefully that'll that'll equate to some form of other organizations like the Trilon that sort of taking up the mantle and helping Absolutely. to preserve these things. Well, and I'm hoping that like because our audience is a little younger and seems to be interested in 35, hopefully that draws some. Hopefully the numbers there are being portrayed back to Warner Brothers, right, and mm-hmm. Sony, and like because all they care about is who's coming to see these movies and how much are we making. Yeah. Well, if their 35 showings are making more than the digital. Maybe they'll make new prints. You know, like it's a matter of like it's all about how we sort of a, a version of the vinyl revolution. Yeah, for yeah. Well, film. I think I think you know I think for millennials they're kind of like I never saw this. What is this? Oh, it's special in some way. You know, it's like the three D for mm-hmm. the millennials. You know, and it's um, and I think that's great. You know, I, I don't think um, I never thought that watching a digital projection was super special. Like, I always felt like seeing a movie in a movie theater is always fun for me, and I always love it. But watching something on 35, there's a whole production behind you and into it that's so different, right? Like, the film print itself has a journey to get to you. Mm -hmm. And then once it's there, the person behind you is inspecting it, putting it on screen, focusing it, trying to get it to look as best as it can look as it's dying behind you, right? Like, as it runs through, like... The ink is coming off and it's getting scratched and it's, you know, so I, I just find that um, something very temporary about it that feels really special. You know, you're kind of getting to see it as it's going away. Especially with the theater experience. It right. puts it in a place and time in history. Right, than, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was writing this piece for the 10th anniversary um, and I and I tried to pick like three screenings that I remember over the last 10 years that were like really meant a lot to me. And I, I realized as I was writing it, that all three of them are related to the weather outside and coming inside and getting away from it either. Cause it was too hot or it was snowing. It's or such whatever. a Minnesota thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like coming in and 
the temperature in the auditorium being something that sets in the like amount of people in the space or mm-hmm. the setting, whether it's exciting or it's calm or it's a very like it's a ritual space, right? That you go into. It's like a church that you're going into and it you separate from everything and you sort of sit down and experience this moment. Um and that's indelible in a way that I'm not sure watching a movie at home is. You know, I I think it can be, and there are moments at home that are really moving and memorable, but I don't think it's quite the sensory experience, right? The smells and the the person kicking you in front of you and, and all the, that. the break from routine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like yeah. all that sort of ingrains into the movie experience itself and ingrains onto you how you experience that film. Right. There's sort of a, a barrier to entry a little bit. Right. Whereas the unlimited availability of almost any movie at home yes. makes that a little bit easier to come by yes. and a little bit more forgettable. In, in and also – I'm not one to rail against streaming or like yeah, yeah, no, movies or anything, but – and I think almost um, temporary in a different sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't – I find myself giving movies at home about half an hour because I've got a wa- lot of movies to watch and I've got these piles of stuff. And if in a half an hour I'm not like, oh, it's really good, I'm like, you're out, huh. right? Because I'm like it has to – if it's not good, it's got to go because I don't have time. Sure. Um, in a cinema or when you used to rent movies, there was like a an investment into that thing. And you're not giving up on it because it's – it's there now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, so you give things a much, much more attention and a much bigger space to sort of find its way with you, um, in a way that I think is really special. Are these some things that you've had uh, sort of stewing in your brain as you put together the like as you think back on the last ten years of the trilon? You've been sort of imagining the, how the film industry and how people have watched movies is changing over that course of time. Yeah, I mean a lot, right? Yeah, I mean. Um, when the trial-on started in 2009, DCP was not the standard for movie theaters. That kind of happens 2011. And I'm working at the Lagoon when we get the like the call that's like, okay, we're going to be removing all of your film projectors and putting in digital projectors. And I remember I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What? No, I mean, like, now my job's going to be awful. Like it's because I the thing I loved was hiding in that booth and running around, threading five prints, running downstairs, scooping popcorn, running back up, starting some things, projecting. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I loved the like the movement of it all. Um, and I just remember also thinking like it's not going to feel special to watch anything here anymore. It still does, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. But um, I was always dr- more dramatic about it than it really is. But <laughs> I was there the day when they brought in the guys. Um, who were going to take out the projectors. And I was like expecting technicians, right? Like they're going to come in and they're going to like take everything apart and organize it and all that. These guys were scrappers. They came in with literally hammers and hammered out the bases and threw them all into the back of a pickup and brought them for scrap. Good God. And I remember, I remember like, as I saw the first one go out, I was like hurrying around the booth, like taking all the lenses and putting them in boxes and putting them in, in like my car and like yeah. grabbing anything. Literally could, trying to beat these guys. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> grabbing anything I could get my hands on. Be like, oh my god! And I and I remember calling my um, my boss in L.A. at Landmark and being like, "Can you just have them save one and I'll take it home? Like you don't have to." He's like, "No, it's worth more in scrap." I'm like, "Well, I'll give you whatever it's worth in scrap." Just let me think. He's like, no, we can't do that. We can't have you, you know, getting hurt taking the projector into your car. And I was just like, I hate you so much. Like, <laughs> it's like, well, just leave it then. Like, leave it and we'll pay you for whatever. It, no, no. You know, and like there was. So I convinced them Lagoon still has a platter projector in theater two that they can run. 
Um, they haven't run since I've left it. Hmm. Like if I, I'm, I'm sure I'd have to go back to run it if they booked anything on 35. But because I, I asked them about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and they were considering it. And I was like, you know, I'd run it for you for a week or whatever. You pay me five grand or whatever. <laughs> but um, no, they don't want to do that. So um, I would go to that. That sounds yeah, of course. Fantastic. It was out on it was on seventy out at Willow Creek, yeah. and it was astonishing to see that thing on film. You know, I saw it at the Heights, and I saw, and I was like, this film print is so amazing. Um, like a new film print is something to behold. Like it's it's strange because we don't see them anymore. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been a new film print in ten years. Yeah. So when you see one, you're like, whoa, what yeah. is that thing? Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm tangenting again. Can, Sorry, I, can I ask, it sounds like you are you were writing something on it, so maybe you don't want to share, but you mentioned the three kind of yeah, um, uh, film experiences you So I decided you to, I, I wrote on a um, uh, screening of The Hired Hand, mm-hmm. which um, I did this big Warren Oates series, um, and it was it was the film in that series. I was like, how do I get to this film? Um, and then found myself surrounded by like all these amazing films that I knew weren't going to make money, and I was like, whatever. Um, but... Uh, it was it was the day before that giant April snowstorm, and it had started to fall, and we all knew it was going to be like twelve inches of snow or whatever. Um, and so I went, and the theater was mostly empty. It was like three people, and it was just this like amazing experience to see like a film print projected that. And that one was new, like three years ago or something. They had done it for a Peter Fonda event or something. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it was like this gorgeous print and this like really great experience. And I went out and when I stepped outside, like the snow was falling and it was, you know, it's just this like very cool moment. Um, uh, another one was a while back. I want to say it was like 2012 or something. And it was, um, oh man, it was one of those, I think it was Sancho the Bailiff maybe, or Ugetsu or something. One of those where, um, it's like slow kind of Ozu type, like, 50s Japanese films and um, I, I remembered it really clearly because I didn't have time to put my socks on because I wasn't paying attention so I wore <laughs> shoes without socks and I remember the whole time like this is gross <laughs> um, but like loving that experience and that sort of you know again that like s- that sense experience of having no socks somehow burned that into my brain <laughs> like yeah. um, and I'm trying to think what the other one was one of the, oh, one of the All Star Video. We did this short-lived All Star Video series where I showed like shot on video, really strange films from the eighties, <laughs> um, and they were late nights after after trash film debauchery for like six months. Um, so one of those was like one of them because it was such a strange experience watching all these people just be baffled by what they were seeing. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you mentioned like the the environment around you watching mm. the movie can actually help make the movie oh, yeah. more memorable. I remember one of the one of the best movie like film watching experiences I have was watching uh, Ghost in the Shell at the Uptown at the mm. midnight showing, and I was like just extremely tired, like deliriously tired, yeah. and I just was chugging coffee, and for some reason it just like clicked, and I was just like connecting with the movie on another yeah. wavelength. Yeah. And it's like, it was the movie, but it was also everything surrounding Absolutely. the movie that you only get in a theater. It's funny. When I think about all my favorite trial experiences, I can also picture the weather and the, uh, and, and also the, the like mental state I was in. Like <laughs> often, often my favorite trial experiences ironically start with me being in a very dark, depressed place. <laughs> yeah. And sort of oh, going totally. in and like, Oh God, like today's not working out. I'm going to go to a movie. Uh, so I, I agree. Totally. That's, okay, and, and because you bring, you bring all of yourself into that, yeah. right? Cause you're not, some people talk about cinema as a thing that like pushes itself on you where I think it's, you're much more projecting yourself into it, you know, like, um, and one of the arguments I got into about Blade Runner, um, 
with uh, another friend was I was like, it's it's not his movie. He doesn't get to decide anymore how we see it. It's ours. Like we he gave it to us and now it's Mm -hmm. ours. And if I fell in love with the Harrison Ford narration on VHS, that's my blade. Like he doesn't get to decide that that didn't exist for me. Like that wasn't that wasn't his. The author's dead. Yeah, exactly. So it's like um, and so you bring your whole self into that moment. And get to take yourself with it, you know, and what you get to leave on screen, what you don't like, and you get to take with you the moments that were moving, you know. Um, and sometimes uh, I think that filmmakers want to tell you how you should see their films. And I think that's obnoxious because it's never right. Like it's you can say, like, this is the way it should be projected. Mm-hmm. Sure. Of course. Like, like it, technically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like if you're going to see a Terrence Malick movie, it's got to be loud. Right. His mm-hmm. thing is always like the music <laughs> itself should envelop you. It's like, great. Yeah, that's a good idea. We'll mm-hmm. play it loud. But don't tell me what I take from like the trees and the sunlight coming through to me. Like that'll be my thing, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, I'm curious about, are you pretty satisfied, pretty content with the Trilands? Like, um, don't know exactly how to say it. More of a promotional angle of like how much outreach you're able to do. I know that you've, you're pretty active on social media. You've right. got every event going up. Your uh, website is always just right. on point, but uh, as a, is it being a nonprofit that sort of limits you in a lot of ways for outreach and marketing? For like advertising? Yeah. So Barry, again, being our guy, that's our money guy. He's always like, our advertising budget is zero. <laughs> uh, and we will always keep it at zero because that's not who we are. Hmm. Um, and I've always thought that that was a kind of a good way to like build yourself as a people who love the trial love the trial Yeah. And they'll help you or they won't, but that's where you'll get help. Well, us in this room right, right, right now exactly, exactly. 39 twitter followers <laughs> right well exactly and it's and it was um it's interesting because i told barry i was like oh i'm gonna go to this thing these guys he's like i've been listening to it it's great he's like he's oh but, no but he was, like, you don't know but he was, he so was like bad, uh, i need to get some oh, air <laughs> but like he he was like um that's exactly what an honest genuine organization will have yeah they'll have people who want to help you because you're not doing it so that you can become huge. You're doing it so you can keep doing what you're doing. Hmm. You know, like um, he's always had the sense too, where like people will bring up like, "Well, how's the trial going to grow?" And he's like, "Grow? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean?" God, I love that. You know, like I it's, it's about that. it's about sustaining, right? It's about like we're doing fine. Mm-hmm. There's no need to. Well, it's, it's film preservation, right? Right, right, yeah. right. There's no need to to become Lincoln Center or whatever. Like that already exists, mm-hmm. you know. And when organizations get that large, they become the Walker. And the and the walker is so limited in all of all of the minutia of being the walker, mm-hmm. you know that like once art gets that big, it becomes something entirely different. Corporate, right, right, in its own way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Well, then tell me about some of your favorite partnerships, then, uh, because I know that you've had some folks from the U. Uh, yeah. Matthew Chepikovitrayan was. Yeah. What What did he show? He showed. Um, Koyanis Katsi yeah. for a free yeah. showing there. Yeah. And, and the, uh, uh, the really wild uh, commercials that they the came before it. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. right. So it seems awesome. like that can yeah. open some doors for both the Triland and for yeah. the yeah. partners so, that show. So we work with um, – so Matthew's thing is the organization that gives money to the U for that program then can get funneled to any type of public screening he wants to do. Hmm. So he uses that money at the Triland I think a few times a year. Um, I think they also do screenings at the U. Um, don't remember what that thing's called. Cinema in the Cities or something? Yeah. Something like that. that. I think we yeah. all went um, to the U. I, th- yeah. I think so. So, um, but so he's, he's, uh, he's connected to the Trilon in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So like we often 
open our space to him for whatever. So like he's also had like his students came and watched Seven Samurai when we showed it. Mm-hmm. So like we did a special screening for them, and um, so that's a really good um, uh, that's a really good partnership to have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that like um, the Cult Film Collective is basically me and three other people who are like we'll pay for the stuff that the trial line can't pay for that we want to see hoping we make our money back out of your own pockets. Right. Wow. So it becomes like, we go find, like we really want to show, um, it started with, um, the first Kung Fu series we did with Dan. Um, it was, uh, Wu Tang versus Shaolin and, um, (laughs) mystery of chess boxing. So we, so we brought in those two film prints with Dan as like a, the trial on can't, can't do this program without us. Mm-hmm. So we'll each put in like 200 bucks or whatever. And then RZA showed up to those screens, right? <laughs> um, but uh, so, so, and then we made our money back on it. And we were like, okay, well, let's just keep doing that. Mm-hmm. We'll just keep like putting it in. And if we get it back, great. If not, we'll put in a little more. And so we have like a running tab with the Trilon where it's sort of like, if it makes money, it stays there. If it loses money, we pay in. Hmm. Um, and so we do one thing, a calendar. Uh, with the trial on that way. Um, Psychotronic is a similar partnership, though um, I think their thing is more like if it doesn't make a profit every year, then we'll quit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, so, and we do certain things like that. Um, the Czech consulate has become a really good friend of ours. Um, she helped with Icarie XB1. Like she did a lot mm. of promotion for that. So whenever we can show a Czech film, that can go well. Interesting. Um, so we certainly try to reach out to like different groups that are willing to like have a mutual partnership. You also showed some Sony Kuhn movies. I believe that's her name. Uh, a couple months ago now that was through the U as well, right? Right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. And it's always, it's always a matter of like working through how those partnerships work and whether or not we believe the films they want to show make sense with our audience or if it's a thing that's like, we'll rent it out to you for the space for this or whatever. So Thursday nights we have no programming. Um, and we always leave that open to rentals. So that can turn into something else as well. Um, but like now we're doing the volunteer programmers mm-hmm. thing on the Thursdays. Cause we got grant money from Emirac for that. Great. So we're always looking for ways to not spend our own money. But. Yeah. Um, does anybody else have any questions along that line? Uh, maybe not along that line real quick. Uh, I want to know what, this is probably an impossible question for you to answer, but yeah. what are some of the what are some of the best your favorite movies that you've ever uh, shown at the Trilon? Hmm. Um, I just I, I needed to yeah. ask. <laughs> I'll do three. Uh, that way, it's simple enough. Awesome. Um, my favorite one I've ever done was the Spook Who Sat by the Door. Amazing um, movie. I we, saw it. The, you yeah. saw it here. Um, so there's one print of that in the in the world. Um, and it's not available really on any format except I think there was like a bad DVD like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. It's out of aspect. And um, I managed to take like this little known black exploitation film and sort of put it within a series about 1968. And like you've got like Godard and Truffaut and like all these guys in there. Yep. And then like this movie that I felt like it, it felt like I had successfully made a movie important that no one thought was important. And we had lots of people show up. So I was super, that was one of my favorites because it was like a success and it just worked so well for me. Um, getting to see Days of Heaven on 35 was a really special experience. Um, I'd always wanted to see it and it just was like, 
It's the type of thing that like that was a collective screening where I was sort of like, we're going to just put our money into this now. And they were like, yeah, great. Let's do that. <laughs> um, and it was the type of thing. It, it just felt right. You know, it felt like this thing should be seen on 35. Um, and then, um, goodness, for my last one. Maybe bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Oh, I was going to invoke that earlier because I am so fuming mad that there's no good way to watch that mm. at home. It's a masterpiece. It's it an incredible movie. It's a great, great third pick. It's a oh really, it's God. a really great film. And I think seeing that one, it was a smallish audience. And I always kind of, I mean, I love the sold out excitement, mm-hmm. but somehow the excitement is almost distracting to me. <laughs> where like the, sadness of like this movie didn't do well sort of puts me in a place where I'm like this is great this is just for me <laughs> um, yeah I, I think those are great what are they, what are we missing here I feel like we missed a whole bunch of uh, I didn't write this down but how did you get the guy from Motion City Soundtrack to show a movie at the tri- <laughs> or like to play a show at the trial I was blows, there was right yeah it was it yeah. was after 400 blows so um, sound and scene is uh, we do they do th- the second Wednesday of every month. And they've been doing that with us for like nine years or something. They just did Blue Note most recently. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they're like a music documentary group or whatever. Um, and and they're, one of their programmers, Rich, I think is friends with him. Hmm. So I think he was like, Dude, would you ever want to do anything at the trial? Quick so, question, quick answer. Yeah, wild. pretty that's, sure. That's really cool. Pretty sure that happened. Uh, I think all of us uh, appreciate the care that's put into the like the accumulation of trailers for the movies and the upcoming oh, themes, thanks. the upcoming like yeah. s- slate, um, uh, as well as the like the PSAs that yeah. come after them. Uh, who do we have to talk to to get the John Waters no smoking PSA to show a little more often? Uh, Nikki, probably. Okay. If you see Nikki, we love it so much. It's think, part of our theme song. Yeah. Literally, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was one that I actually stole in that day where they were tearing out all the. Film projectors. Wow. Really? Was a, that was something that Landmark had asked John Waters to record for them, and we had it what? on film. And I actually snagged it with like a box of a whole bunch of their other snipes, and then we put them on screen. And Did they ever use that them. for anything? Or? Yeah, yeah, we used it for midnights all the time. Okay, okay. Sure. Um, I could use a little more of that at the midnight. I, I, I like going good. to the midnight showings there. I could use a little more of that kind They've of They've taken the, all the personality out of that, yeah. I think. Yeah. The guy, the, whoever the person is who comes up to the yeah. manager at the uptown yeah I, I like yeah. i don't yeah i like his little uh yeah. spiel beforehand but yeah i could use a little more of that kind of I don't know, underground feel to yeah it. yeah yeah well yeah. some personality right yeah mm-hmm. i mean that's how that's definitely like when before they updated the whole uptown yeah. that's what it was i mean it was yeah. 900 seats it was cavernous and it was like showing beat up prints of my bloody valentine you know <laughs> like i mean that's that's how it used to feel. Mm-hmm. And so there was all kinds of those snipes and weird, yeah. like we'd put advertisements on stuff. And um, I remember we used to do like Palenco beforehand and like you'd hand out stuff and that stuff's all missing now. It's yeah. a bummer. Is the Melvin Van, Van Peebles one, uh, Cody, you were asking yeah. about this. Is that one that was, where did that come from? Northwest Film Forum um, from Seattle, okay. I think. Um, they filmed it and they had it somewhere. And I think Barry was visiting them or something. He's like, can I have this? Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and they were like, oh, yeah, sure. We don't need that. It's like, oh, we're taking that. Yeah. It's a great one. Beautiful. It's so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's shot. Like, if you ever get to go to the Northwest Film Forum, it's like that space is their booth. Like, he was in their booth when they just like had a camcorder. It's uh, pretty great. good. Um, can I ask? I know we talked about the 10th anniversary of the Trilon yeah. as like a... 
uh, you know, as a, as, I guess, historical event. But as for the, the actual event, the mm. film screening is going on. Um, I know you can't, probably can't spoil any of the movies going to be shown, but could you talk about just what that's going to look like? I think three of us here have tickets to yeah. the yeah. whole thing, so we're going to um, power through, through it. The back, yeah. as always. <laughs> um, so it's, um, I mean, as you asked me about, like, some of my favorite movies and stuff, that's the type of movie that will populate the whole day. Mm-hmm. So um, I tried to sort of run the gamut of what we show. So we're going to show, like, some classic Japanese cinema, um, which I think everyone, it's the type of film where the title itself won't draw people into the cinema, but when they watch it, I think that it's going to be, like, people are going to be really happy with what what's shown. Um, and then the second one is a 70s crime film, because that's, like, my favorite I've always wanted to do a giant series knowing that no one would come. So this is one that like probably doesn't have a lot of name recognition, but you know, once it comes on screen and you see who's in it and who did it, I think everyone will be like, Oh, cool. Um, the third one is like a super unknown film noir on a super rare print, um, that came from a private collector and, um, is likely not to be shown again ever. Um, and then, uh, we're doing like a little known French film and then a Kung Fu film that I can't otherwise show in any format. Every um, flavor, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to it's kind of so good. run along sort of these are the things that we do, right? Like at the Trilon, we, we show classic cinema. We show foreign cinema. We show like kind of gritty 70s stuff. Yeah. We show newer stuff. Like I, I kind of wanted to mix it up and be like this is – in a typical calendar of the Trilon, you're going to see all of this. Yeah. Um, and this is a way to do it all in one day and sort of feel what the Trilon's about. Um, so there'll be, um, I think in between the third and the fourth one, there's like a 45 minute break. Um, so we'll be playing like trailers and ads and Mm -hmm. weird stuff during that point while people go get dinner or whatever. Um, but I think it's, I, I really, I think I'm hoping what it'll be is more of a way to, rather than even be like a big event for those people, it's a way for people to mark, like, this is a place that. I want to come and just be a part of this like celebration a little bit, like how just be happy that it's here and kind of like as an acknowledgement, like we've already been here 10 years. Um, so, it, you know, I think I'm hoping that there's some people who come for one film. There's some people who plan to come for one and stay. Um, I'd love it if like some 16 year olds somehow like snuck pizza in and like, stayed all day <laughs> or something. Um, Might have some 26 year olds. Yeah, exactly, I don't know. Exactly, we'll talk about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so, uh, you know, I think um, it's going to be pretty casual. Sure. I think, uh, have any of you been to the horathons or anything? It's like, uh-huh. it, it's going to run similarly, but less intense. Like the horathons yeah. is, I'm trying to keep people up all night. So mm-hmm. like, you need caffeine pills. Yeah. So it need, never yeah. stops. Like at the horathon, it's like, there's always something on screen. So I'm showing like weird snipes and Japanese commercials and whatever to like keep people going. Um, it'll be, have some of that, but not near as much as usual. Um, and I picked things that I thought none of them may do great on their own. Like in, if you just were going to book a weekend, but they're ones that like, because it's attached to this, I think people will remember it, you know? Uh, do you have any other press coming up for the 10th anniversary or has it just been your own promotion? I think it's probably our own, but you know, we'll probably, it's not for a few weeks yet. So we'll uh-huh. push a little, I think it's weird now because after Colin Covert got into that whole thing and was gone, yeah. there's like no local movie person. Yeah. So, um, getting yourself in the newspaper is nearly impossible. Because it's all like, here's the, you know, like New Yorker review of Endgame. You're like, okay, yeah. that's helpful to us. <laughs> that works really well for us. Um, you know, and I, we, we didn't get a lot of press beforehand anyway. But sure. it's, um, uh, 
you know, it's it's the type of thing that it might show up here and there. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Uh, is this the first podcast you've been on regarding the trilon? I don't think so. Maybe. All right. Well, I've we'll been on. I've been a guest on a few things for like weird stuff. Like there's um. Some guy has one about like finding weird movies, and he's like, "I see you show weird movies. Uh, would you like to recommend a one?" And so I've recommended he watch this movie. Um, oh God, it's the Stacy Keach movie where he's a traveling executioner. <laughs> I forget. What Sounds it was. great. It was amazing, and I was like, "You gotta check this movie out." And he was just baffled by it. You know, he was like, "This is the weirdest movie." It was too weird for him. Yeah, it was great. Movie? Yeah, it was great. Um, I've been on a few, and I used to actually. Uh, I had a podcast called All Star Video for. A few years. And it was all about, we would just podcast about movies that had never had any actual release. So, like, movies from the 80s that were shot on videotape, where people would literally bring them into video stores and be like, will you rent my movie for me, please? And then somebody finds them, and then they end up getting some type of release. Some movies like Sledgehammer is this movie from 1983 that's like a sort of a Halloween ripoff, (laughs) but so much more fun. Uh... So I, I did that some. Uh, anything you'd recommend to listeners? This is probably coming out like this coming Tuesday. Great. So. Um, I mean, uh, I, I you know I don't I don't have a lot of time to listen to like movie podcasts. I kind of wish I did that. Um, the Joe Dante one is really nice. The uh, movies that made me. Hmm. I have heard of that. I've never given it a he, listen. Um, it's pretty nice, and he has some episodes about films that we have coming up. I mean, I think he's um he's very much. Um, of the vein of what the trial is doing. Like it sort of runs the gamut of like, we'll talk about Westerns and we'll talk about, you know, like 1970s art film. And mm-hmm. um, um, I think that's about it. The, um, I think the thing about the, the trial and coming up that's, that's helpful to know too, is just that there's a, there's sort of an arc to like how things work. So if there's a type of, film that you love and you're not like you're only interested in one kind it'll come around again yeah so um like you were saying stalker i'm like it'll, we'll get there yeah i wonder how many people like maybe just come for house on right Halloween i'm sure, I know, I'm, sure I'm sure that we've got a fair amount of people that like come to one or two a year yeah it's always fun to, to see people who laugh at specifically like the the openings like the john Waters. right right like they, they've never seen it, it yeah because yeah, they've never seen it before it's always like, i'm always ah, like wow that's ah, the first time yeah. that's kind of fun yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Where the rest of us are like, oh, God. <laughs> Again. Again with the John Waters yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think the other thing that's really interesting about um, what you guys are doing here. Like, how did you, so what did you do to get started with this? Uh, so me and Harry and another friend started going to the trial what, two or Two and a half I, years ago, or I went like three years ago, right? I like, only moved here. Like I yeah. only moved here three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. So shortly sure. after I moved here, Harry and I uh, and a friend, another friend, another friend started going. And after every movie, we'd find ourselves sitting out on the patio or like walking around, just talking about the movie we yeah. just saw. Yeah. And we're like, we're young. We have the te- the capability, the technology. We have a few cheap mics. Yeah, Let's get together and talk about <laughs> yeah. fun recording. Yeah. We recorded a few episodes la- like mid last year that we never actually ended I think up putting. The first out. one was four hundred blows, right? I know uh, oh, Repo Man was Repo Man was the very first episode, Excellent. and then we Amazing. talked about uh, taking a pill one, two, three, yep. uh, and then did we talk about um, the other Walter Matthau one, uh, the one where he gets super racist in the oh, very last shot uh, at the very end? Hopscotch. Hopscotch. Oh, I don't think oh, yeah. we actually did an episode on that. 
That's a that's a disappointing movie because it's, it, like, it's, it's got fine. so much so much potential. Yeah, going and then for it, it, yeah. well, and it, it it like it really fumbles on the the ninety nine yard line, right? Where it's like <laughs> it's literally the last. Uh, the stinger. Thirty at seconds. The, end of the yeah. last thirty seconds of the movie, he does brownface. It's like, oh god. I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, always fun to watch, though. Uh, weirdly, um, and then uh, we started bringing in a greater group of friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, started having guests on here and there. Awesome. It's all people from uh, either in town or out of town who just like wanted to see a movie with other Love to have yeah. guests. I think. Uh, we'll yeah. Anybody who wants to come on. Hausu was the first one I was on, so that would oh, be really? a year coming up in yeah. about a month. It's wild. Really? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I was first on with you guys when we did uh, Yojimbo and Sanjuro. Oh, excellent. Uh, and then in January, we started releasing them right around my birthday, actually. Uh, oh, we nice. started releasing episodes. We've been doing it once every week. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I do age as anybody else ages. Extremely belated birthday. Uh, or early, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. Uh, and we've been just keeping going on. We had I had this thing, just this internal uh, monologue that told me, let's get five episodes recorded and released and then approach somebody at the trial. We yeah. don't want to come off as creepy. Yeah. Five episodes <laughs> came and went. Ten episodes came and went. We were on the 30 episodes. Awesome. And then finally, one of yeah. our friends who was on That's was like, awesome. why haven't you reached out yet? And I don't know if it was Ben or another uh, volunteer who yeah. was, respond- <laughs> yeah, was responding to uh, us and just saying like, just waiting for somebody to reach out to yeah, us. That's so awesome. then, then that put the heat on. So we, yeah. we wanted to reach out to you and make Excellent. sure uh, you're the inaugural actual Trilon employee volunteer. I don't know what you consider yourself. I'm, a, I'm an employee. Yeah. Employee. Yeah. Uh, and we'd love to have more on. Excellent. Uh, we'll yeah. Probably get with you yeah. Up, right? yeah. Absolutely. We will take all comers. <laughs> <laughs> We don't have a huge standard, but uh, as, but as it's long as there are, right with time. being in this little, very hot room, I cannot with, express enough how much this room is. You know? yeah. Yeah. There's coffee. This place yeah. is great. It's not Thanks. Bad. Yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about this. I love this. <laughs> uh, anything else? Anybody else wanted to cover? We're all uh, good. What's up with the Spider-Man? Uh, oh yeah. Poster? So Sony awesomely just sends us stuff all the time. Like oh. we get like tons of their. Posters you think you're just on a list? You know? Yeah, I think, okay, I think yeah. they're like they're like, oh, it's a movie theater. Send them. Okay. And and one day Barry was like, he put in a request to be like, would you send us one of those Spider-Man standees? Those, oh, look, yeah. those look awesome. <laughs> and so so he we got one, and he was like, and he, and they were like, we only asked that you put it up. <laughs> so we waited specifically until the Spider-Man movie was done playing in cinema, <laughs> and then put you it up, and, it, and then took a picture of it, and we were like, look, Spider-Man, yeah. and there it is, still. there it is, still there. You know, I'm. I mean, I think it's funny because when it went up, I was like, it's not exactly what I would put there. And Barry's like, yeah, but it's Spider-Man. And I was like, fair point. It is Spider-Man. He's, he's from Queens. Barry's from yeah. Queens. That's true. It all works wow. out. It all works out. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for us. I think that's yeah, Thank you so much, John, for yeah, being yeah, with so us. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you've nice. been listening to Try Love. I am Jason. I'm Aaron. I'm Cody. I'm Harry. Uh, look for another episode next week. Thanks. Bye. We have no good way of ending these episodes. I like that. I like that.